As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south, down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, How can I unless someone else instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and to sit with him. The passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was like a sheep to to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he didn't open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. And he went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Please be seated. This Ethiopian official was an amazing man. He would have been raised up in a language that was totally different to Hebrew. So he grew up in a country, and if he wanted to pursue the God of the Bible, he had to learn a different language. He had to learn to read it, he had to learn to speak it, to be part of temple worship. A man of authority, a man after God's heart. A man, I believe, who would have had such a sensitivity towards God that he knew right from wrong, and he would have kept his heart right before God. He travelled a huge distance to worship and he was going home on his way to do another huge distance and Philip the Evangelist is instructed by the Holy Spirit to stop a revival meeting he's taking in Samaria to run into the desert and at exactly the right time the Evangelist and the Ethiopian meet. The Ethiopian's in a chariot and God says to Philip, walk alongside it. He walks alongside the chariot. He's reading from the passage in Scripture, which is the easiest passage in Isaiah 53 to point to the cross, to point to Jesus. And so Philip explains the gospel to him, explains who Jesus the Messiah is. All of a sudden, in the desert, at the right, exactly the right time, the guy gets it, he understands Jesus. And he goes, wow, there's some water in the desert. Really? Some water just happened to be there right then at the right time. Why can't I be baptised? And Philip takes him down into the water. He baptizes him under the water. He comes up. Then God takes Philip away. Job done. Incredible story. I want to say to your friends that one of my great passions in life is not just to see people come to Jesus, but to see people walk with Jesus for the rest of their lives. I don't know how many times I've said to non-Christian people, my dream is that you would live with me in eternity in heaven in a roommate just for you. My dream is to have you living down the corridor for me. So I'm not interested in just someone having an experience within Church Unlimited, me personally. I want to see people connect with God and carry on with God. Murray Cupforth has got this phrase. He often says, we want to set people up for success. 
We're going to position people to do well in their Christian walk. And that's what I want to do when I want to bring people into the kingdom. I want them to know God, encounter God, get their foundations strong, so no matter how many years down the track we're talking about, they're still walking with Jesus. They're still following the Lord. Now, in Christianity today, there are all sorts of misconceptions. A lot of people I meet say to me, Russell, I can be a Christian without going to church or without fellowship. I can be a Christian in isolation. And I hear that and I go, that doesn't line up with my Bible, friends. Christianity is not a personal faith in isolation. Yes, it's a relationship personally, but it's lived out corporately. And Scripture's full of expressions of that. Even communion, as we took this morning, can't take communion on your own. It's about being in right relationship with each other and with the Lord. Often Christians buy into the lie that's out there today, which says love equals tolerance. And that's what most Kiwis say. Look, if you love me, you'll tolerate me, whatever my viewpoint is. And yet the truth is, if you speak truth to someone, it might confront them. It might cause them to examine their their hearts and their sins and their lives. And tolerance does not equal love. In fact, I think love often means you say things that are uncomfortable for the purpose of bringing people into better relationship with Jesus. When it comes to foundational things of starting right as a Christian, I often find a lack in several areas in modern Christianity. I find that most people don't understand what repentance and confession looks like. In Scripture, you'll see the phrases put together all the time. Repentance is a specific turning from sin. God, forgive me for doing that and give me the power to go this way. And often it's accompanied by confession. So if someone has an addictive behavior, something they're struggling to break free from, the confession will often just bring them liberty, not just forgiveness from sin, but freedom from that addiction as well. People don't understand repentance and confession. People don't understand what really happens when somebody's baptized. And people don't understand that having the Holy Spirit come upon your life and give you spiritual gifts is absolutely essential if you're going to live the Christian life. And so if you look at the four legs on a chair, folk will often say, look, it's all about faith, and it is. Faith in Jesus is the beginning and the end of everything. It's the most important thing. But if you're going to be a strong Christian and make the distance and be stable in your relationship with God, if I'm going to set you up for success spiritually, I'm going to get your whole foundation strong. And that involves more than just belief, and belief is crucial. Many of you know my personal story. About 25 years ago, I I was just in so much anguish is probably the wrong word, but distress over the fact that in New Zealand, when I was involved with Billy setting up um, Bill Sabritsky Crusades and the follow-up teams for Lewis Palau and different things, I would find that anything up to 80-85% of the people that went forward and made commitments were missing within two months. And it does something to a pastor who loves people. That's just so painful. And I'd watch a crusade and outreach and crusade and outreach, and in my heart I was saying, Lord Jesus, something is wrong that people are walking away. How can anybody walk away from a God once you've encountered a God of grace, a God of goodness, and the forgiveness of Jesus? And it caused me to go back to Scripture and ask a whole lot of questions about what do foundations look like? 
And what are we doing in the modern church that everyone's doing, but that doesn't make it right? That maybe wasn't the way things were done in the early church. And so I sought to go back to Scripture and find out what does biblical foundations look like? If I'm going to set up people to win, to walk with Jesus for eternity, what do I need to do? And it raised for me a whole lot of questions. Church Unlimited is a church that takes the Bible as our foundation. And so if I'm speaking something from the front, if you're at a Bible study, if you're at a a youth group event, and you hear something and you think it doesn't line up with the Word, you check it out with the Word. Because the Word of God's our authority. Not my experience, not my opinion. It's the Scriptures. And we're going to do that this morning. We're going to start to look at some topics around the topic of baptism, look at some questions, and try and separate as a church what's tradition and what's scriptural. Now, tradition isn't necessarily bad. Tradition can be a beautiful thing, a good thing. But in a time and a season where the Western church is actually in decline, you've got to ask the question, are we doing things right? Are we doing things the best way? And the best way is going to be the biblical way. So we need to examine what we do, enjoy tradition, yes, but measure that against Scripture and make the distinction. Is this tradition or is it Scripture? Now, we're going to create chaos in just a minute. I'm going to give you five minutes, which is a long time, to talk to the person beside you. There's going to be eight questions up on the screen. And I want you to take to the person beside you, when you look at the eight questions, that's tradition or that's scriptural. And just think back to all the scriptures you've learned, what you've read in the Bible. Make the distinction because the distinction is going to help us because we want a journey with individual people to set them up to win, to set them up to encounter Christ and go on with Christ long term. And we want to get this right. So have a look at the eight questions. Here we are. And you've got five minutes, which is a huge amount of time. I'm just hoping I can rein you all in after the end of five minutes, okay? So go for it now. Look at the eight questions. Turn to the person beside you and just say, that's tradition, that's scriptural. You make the decision. Thirty seconds, you wise people. Thirty seconds. I think tradition can be a beautiful thing. It's not necessarily wrong, but we want to be biblical. We want to live by Scripture. I have found when you do things in a biblical way, 
the power of God turns up and endorses what you're doing. And I've known so many people who miss out on God encounters, on life change, because we've taken shortcuts. Or we've been ashamed of the gospel. We've watered the gospel down. Let's run through these questions. Do you need to prove yourself before you're baptized? Traditional or scriptural? Tradition. Absolutely right. In biblical times, people were baptized immediately. And uh, quite interesting, the, you look at the Philippian jailer, Acts chapter 16, I think it is. Uh, the Philippian jailer in those days, he was a hard man. And they, most of those people at that time were violent, were heavy drinkers, um, uh, tough, tough people. The moment the Philippian jailer understands the gospel, what happens? At midnight, he and his family get baptized. Did he prove himself? Did he do enough courses? Did he, did he tick all the boxes? Uh, no, he just believed. He repented. He was baptized immediately. So you don't need to prove yourself before you're baptized. I've had lots of people saying to me, here, living together unmarried or um, struggling with alcohol, whatever the issue is, can you baptize me? And I'll say, you need to say to God, sorry, and that your intention is not the sin. Then I will. Then I will. But I'm not going to baptize someone that doesn't believe and repent first. Um, those two things must happen first of all. So you don't have to prove yourself before you're baptized. Number two, baptism must take place in front of witnesses. Tradition or scriptural? I think it's tradition. I do. And so if you have a look in your Bible at home, check it out. Anything I say, in fact, anything anybody says in church from the front, check it out with scripture. But there's, most of the baptisms took place in the Bible on their own, immediately. The key thing was to respond to God immediately, not getting the witnesses. Now, I think having witnesses is fun. I think lots of prophecies is beautiful. But the most important thing for forming a person, for forming a disciple, is to hear the word of God and obey the word of God. And so obedience is, is crucial. Think of this guy, Ethiopian. There's someone driving a chariot. There's Philip. There's him. There's some water, Philip. Why can't I be baptized now? And he goes. Under he goes, up he comes, Philip's taken away, job done. Okay? So <clears throat> doesn't have to be in front of witnesses. You need to be at least 13 before you're baptized. Traditional or scriptural? Tradition. This question I wrestled with for years and years and years. How old do you need to be to be baptized? And I had people telling me 13, people telling me 18, people in the psychology saying maybe it's 25 now when your brain's fully formed, you know. I actually came to the conclusion that when you're old enough to love Jesus, you're old enough to be baptised. And the crazy thing is over the years I've baptised hundreds and hundreds of people. The children that I've baptised have had a higher level of stickability than the people that came in their 50s and 60s and got baptised later in life. So if you're going to set people up to win, to do well spiritually, when they come to faith, baptise them irrespective of age. You do need to believe, though. You do need to repent. Christians should be baptized at conversion. Tradition or scriptural? It should be baptized at conversion. Traditional or scriptural? That's scriptural. That's scriptural. You've got the Samaritans under Philip's uh, revival meetings had a couple of hours delay between receiving the Holy Spirit as well. But normally all these things happen at the same time. 
Paul the Apostle took three days. That was the exception. Now, if you had have known of Paul's reputation, you'd have left him alone for three days too. But the guy was going on the road to Damascus. He has a revelation. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? He believes, he repents, he gets in a house blind by himself and some poor old godly man has to get pressured by the Holy Spirit to go and baptise the guy. But he would have been baptised the first day if someone had been brave enough to. He was persecuting Christians. Nobody wanted to go to that fella. You know, he'd done so much harm, he was so scary. But that's the exception in the whole of Scripture. That's the exception. Paul took three days. Next question. Baptism is an external uh, symbol of an internal change. Would you vote on that one, tradition or scriptural? An external symbol of an internal change. I think it's predominantly tradition, but you can argue a bit of this both ways. If people say it's just symbolic and God does nothing in baptism, that is totally unbiblical. Totally. The Bible speaks about cleansing away unconfessed sin. The Bible speaks about being put in Christ. The Bible speaks about the power of sin being broken off your life. God does things when you're baptized. So if you think it's just symbolic, that's wrong. But there is some symbol in there too, I have to admit. So it's a bit of both, a bit of both. Baptism clears away sin, number six. Tradition or scriptural? Scriptural, that's right, absolutely. There's half a dozen scriptures that very, very clearly say when you're baptised, your sins are taken away. What sins? If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just, he'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So the things I've turned from, the things I've repented from, the things I've confessed, they're gone. But what about those times when I was a little boy and I was mean to my sister? I can't remember it. What about those times I said and did things I shouldn't have and I can't even remember it? The Bible says there's a spiritual cleansing that goes on when the person's baptised as well. So it's scriptural. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39, two of the, I think, most pivotal scriptures on understanding how people get saved. You remember the story. 120 people are waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. They've got no idea what that means. They're just praying. And they're timid and they're scared because followers of the Galilean were getting persecuted. And while they're waiting, the Holy Spirit comes on them with tongues of fire. And they all begin to speak in a prayer language I'd never learnt before. They come down out of the building. History says it was a three-storied building. They came down from the upper room down to the street. They go out there speaking in tongues of boldness and a great crowd gathers around. And then Peter stands up and preaches a sort of sermon that would probably get you arrested in the days ahead in New Zealand. He stands up and he calls sin, sin. He tells them what you've done is wrong. Being dishonored your parents, you've stolen things, you've lied, you've cheated, you've been selfish. And he lists sin, he particularly lists in Scripture. The fact that God sent prophets and they stoned them. And God sent Messiah and they rejected him. The people turned to Peter and the apostles. There's conviction on their faces and conviction in their heart and tears rolling down their faces. One of the most common signs you'll see when someone is genuinely coming to Jesus is that they'll repent and their face will be full of tears. 
not usually smiling, not usually happy, some will be crying because they know how weighty their sin is and what Christ has done for them. These people have come to a place of believing and they turn to the Apostle Peter and says, guys, what do we do to get saved if we believe what you've said? The sinners and Jesus is Messiah, Yeshua, our Messiah. What do we do? And this is what Peter said. Each of you must repent of your sins. That's turning away from specific sin, asking for God's power to go that way. And turn to God and be baptized, that means buried under water, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you for your children and for those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. It's part of cleansing. It's part of cleansing. Number seven, babies, should they be baptized? Tradition or scriptural? It's tradition. Now, back in the day, the ancient Catholic leaders saw the connection between baptism and salvation, and they got really worried. And so as soon as babies were born, they were baptised them, even dead babies originally. They were baptised them right under water. And there was a lot of noise going on with the live babies when they baptised them. And they came up screaming, so they started christening babies. And that's where the tradition came from. The intention was good of those Catholic forefathers. They saw baptism and salvation linked. But can you be baptised without faith and without repentance? No, you can't. Those two things are prerequisites. No one can be baptised unless they believe in who Jesus is and they've turned from their sins specifically. So babies can't be baptised. Now, are the prayers prayed over babies and families when they're dedicated powerfully? Absolutely, yes. And so I've known people who've been raised in a different tradition and they, they've christened their babies and prayed for them and said, Russell, was that good? I go, it was awesome. It was awesome. Prayers for a baby like that for a family are powerful but it's not baptism. You've got to believe, you've got to repent to be baptised. Last one, ask Jesus to forgive your sins and come into your heart. Is that prayer a traditional prayer or a scriptural prayer? It's traditional. You won't find it in the Bible. Now, it's a beautiful thing, and I, I love people praying like that, but in a time and an age where Christians are falling away, you believers, an incredible pace, where Christianity is not in, in growing, You've got to ask the question, are we setting them up to succeed if we say, let's just pray the prayer? They're not taken through repentance. They're not taken through water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism. You're not setting them up to succeed. You're letting something beautiful happen, but it's incomplete. So I'm not against it. I'm not saying people are bad who do that. But I want to see people meet Jesus, join God's family, and meet us in heaven one day. And live down the corridor from you and from me. And if we're going to do that, we go back to the Word and we give them the full counsel of Scripture. We set them up to win. So people have said to me, Russell, what are you saying? Do you believe you're saved if you believe in the finished work of the cross? I go, absolutely. To the day I die, I'll believe that. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. It's all about faith in Him. But then, Russell, are you saying you're saved if you repent and turn from your sins? Yes, I am. Russell, are you saying that somehow baptism is linked with salvation? Yes, I am. Russell, are you saying that to have the Holy Spirit upon you is a guarantee that you have eternal life? Yes, I do, because the Bible says that. So which is it, Russell? Is it faith? Is it repentance? Is it water baptism? Is it Holy Spirit baptism? My answer to that is yes. 
Because in biblical times, it all happened at the same time. Now, I will never rush someone to believe in Jesus. I'll counsel them, I'll encourage them, I'll pray for them, support them. But when they believe, I'll give them time to repent. Take their sins seriously before God and turn the other way. But then I'll baptize them in water and the Holy Spirit straight away. Why? Because that's what they did in the Bible. That's what they did in the Bible. And all four things weren't four separate things. Oh, I believe in Jesus and maybe two or three months' time I get convicted I shouldn't be sleeping with my partner. <sighs> you know, and I might repent. What is that? Oh, maybe six months down the track, a year down the track, I feel like God's saying I should be baptized. What is that? Maybe, if ever, I decide I need the power of God in my life to live the Christian life. So that happens two or three years down the track. What is that? That set people up to experience God, to get the best foundation possible right at the start and to walk with them so they're our relatives in eternity. I believe as a church we're going to see so many people saved. You know, in the last month we've seen people baptized every week. Isn't that wonderful? That'll be normal. That's our new normal going forward. It's going to be normal. As you and I learn to just the journey with the one, to share our faith with the one, to look after the one and to support them, journey with them going forward as they grow, we're going to see neighbours, friends, kids, grandkids, um, in-laws, outlaws. We're going to see so many people one-on-one come into the kingdom. And any day is a good day to be baptised. Any day is a good day to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just need to believe. Just need to repent first. Does that make sense?